Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the February edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn, taking a look at the front page of the Crestone Eagle, starting with this column by Christine Canale, SLVEC Director, Wolf Creek. The results could come any day now. On December 13, 2021, in Colorado's U.S. District Court, Senior Judge John Kane ordered annulling the Wolf Creek Land Exchange land patent and also verifying, quote, the unwinding of the land exchange, end quote, that the Forest Service had officially proposed and put into motion through their final environmental impact statement record of decision back in 2014. This current order was necessary because it removes ambiguity and formalizes the result of Judge John Match's decision back in 2017 that set aside the land exchange which Lavelle McCombs joint venture LMJV had filed to dismiss. This second proposed land exchange would have connected the developers in holding to Highway 160, providing the legal road access requirement that the developers need to begin the permit process. Unfortunately, several rounds of briefings and additional actions were required to force the Forest Service and LMJV to document actual compliance with Judge Match's orders. Judge Kane's ruling confirms a major decision sought by San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council, SLVEC, and our Friends of Wolf Creek, FWC, partners who have focused efforts to protect Wolf Creek Pass, including the South Fork of the Rio Grande headwaters. SLVEC and partners have worked for over two decades to prevent construction of a proposed 1,722-unit village at Wolf Creek development that creates the potential of concentrating 8,000 people adjacent to the remote Wolf Creek Ski Area. Wolf Creek Pass is surrounded by the South San Juan and Wemunuch wilderness areas, which contain some of the wildest, most ecologically sensitive core habitat and remote wilderness left in the southern Rockies. A large population of human beings living up at the pass would be devastating to the nearby ecological landscape. A quick history of lynx reintroduction. Colorado Division of Wildlife, now Colorado Parks and Wildlife, CPW, took a bold step and reintroduced 96 Canadian lynx in 1999 and 2000. This was an effort to establish a viable population of lynx into the southern Rockies. Five areas throughout Colorado were evaluated as potential lynx habitat. Criteria investigated in these five areas for comparison were 1. Relative snowshoe hair densities, primary food source for lynx. 2. Road density. 3. Size of area. 4. Juxtaposition of habitats within the area. 5 historical records of lynx observations, and six, public issues. Based on results from this analysis, the San Juan Mountains of southwestern Colorado were selected as the release area for reintroducing lynx. Ten release sites within the San Juan Mountains were selected based on land ownership and accessibility during time of release for the 41 animals released in 1999. 
Of the 55 links released in spring 2000, 45 were released at Rio Grande Reservoir and 10 links were released at three sites west of the Continental Divide. Based on current locations of the majority of the released links, the core research area remains in the southern San Juan Mountains. Refresh Brief History of Village at Wolf Creek Levell Properties, Inc. originally received the 300-acre parcel of land in 1986 through a controversial land exchange by swapping denuded private land in Swatch County. Under political pressure, the Forest Service reversed its original no-action decision and Levell acquired the inholding near the Wolf Creek ski area. The original plan for the parcel was a 208-unit development, but this changed over time and by the early 2000s when Texas billionaire Red McCombs acquired controlling interest, it metastasized to a village with 1,711 units that could accommodate up to 8,000 people. Increased access requires Forest Service approval that must comply with many legal requirements. Friends of Wolf Creek, FWC, was formed as a response. FWC is an alliance of concerned nonprofit organizations, including San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council, SLVEC, Rocky Mountain Wild, San Juan Citizens Alliance, and Wilderness Workshop, who have sought to challenge this Village at Wolf Creek proposal in Federal District Court. McCombs' quote-unquote village at Wolf Creek is a proposed development that would build roads, homes, condos, hotels, retail stores, restaurants, and energy infrastructure to support up to 8,000 people at the top of Wolf Creek Pass. The village-related traffic would cut through an important wildlife movement corridor connecting the Wemenush and San Juan wilderness areas. The traffic generated by this development would rise to levels shown to deter links from attempting to cross Highway 160, isolating the population to the south and creating potential for vehicular wildlife collisions. In 2014, the Forest Service supported McComb's massive development plans by approving a land exchange that would have given him another parcel adjacent to Highway 160, an action that would have been disastrous for local links populations if the village were to have been built. This recent 2021 court decision from Judge John Kane basically annulled and put to rest this proposed land exchange idea to Highway 160. The current ANILCA case. Since McCombs property is situated between two significant wilderness areas, developing the village requires that the USFS allows for an access road to cut through their lands. The road would connect the McCombs property to Highway 160 and be instrumental to future utility infrastructure and development. In July 2018, the Forest Service announced that they would be granting expanded access in the form of a road and utility corridor through the National Forest and Wetlands to McCombs property. The agency justified their decision by claiming that it is their legal responsibility under the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act ANILCA, to permit whatever access the developer requests. FWC attorney Stills explains, however, that ANILCA represents law specific to the state of Alaska and does not bind the USFS to provide whatever access agreement the Wolf Creek developers demands.
Instead, Stills asserts that the Forest Service is using ANILCA to falsely represent themselves as a powerless entity. In briefing, even the Forest Service admitted that ANILCA does not provide authority to create a corridor to provide water, electricity, gas, and other utilities required for the sprawling development proposal. FWC lawyers claim that the Forest Service's reasoning is flawed because they indeed do have the power to reject McComb's proposal if they deem the property and project as unreasonable, contrary to law, or oppositional to public interest. In fact, previous judges have already dismissed the Forest Service's ANILCA argument. Past federal courts dubbed the excuse as an artful dodge that abdicates the power Congress gave the Forest Service to manage the national forest. In 2019, FWC filed another lawsuit to refute the Forest Service's decision to permit transportation and utility access through federally managed lands. In 2020, the case was reassigned to Judge Christine Argeo in Federal District Court. After over 30 years of legal battles, FWC is awaiting Judge Argeo's verdict. The outcome of this ruling will either grant or decline developer access to Forest Service lands that connect the site to Highway 160. Without approved commercial access, development cannot commence. The results could come any day now, reports Stills. Meanwhile, McCombs enjoys access to the property for non-commercial uses via Forest Road 391, pursuant to the controversial 1986 land exchange. The desired outcome. Stills relays that a variety of case outcomes would be welcomed, as long as the integrity of Wolf Creek Pass ecology is maintained. FWC envisions several scenarios whereby McCombs property could be returned to federal ownership and oversight so to prevent future development. This transaction could transpire through either a monetary or property exchange. Or, if the property remains in private holding, McCombs could settle for building a much smaller and less destructive development like the base area that was initially agreed upon in the 1986 land exchange. Lastly, all reasonable scenarios must be fully examined by the USFS and other agencies with jurisdiction and expertise. They should conduct a thorough environmental impact analysis that provides a full examination of impacts and restrictions imposed by the Endangered Species Act, Canada lynx, Rio Grande cutthroat trout, American pika, etc., Clean Air Act, power plant, road emissions, etc., Clean Water Act, wetlands, sewer plant discharges, stormwater, etc., and other laws that protect the fragile environment atop Wolf Creek Pass. Stills is confident that if the Forest Service took the time to do this, they would come to the inescapable conclusion that nothing is reasonable to be built there, and therefore the property should not be held by private entities. Now turning to Town of Crestone News, written by Clerk Allison Ransom, Board and Staff News, January was a very busy month that included an abundance of work sessions and committee meetings with multiple participants, including Interim Town Administrator Leslie Klusmeyer, Mayor Danforth, and all of the trustees. They were engaged in working on FEMA fire fuel mitigation, flood control, North Crestone Creek spillway improvements, town drainage plans, 
Alternative Evacuation Route Study, Law Enforcement Task Force, Dark Sky Tourism and Planning, Invasive Weed Management, and a Planning Process for a Future Crestone Community Campus. Mayor Danforth and Trustees Lockie, Beyer, and Scheid were present at the Saturday, January 8th Here to Listen session. A Peace Patrol representative spoke to the board members about new law enforcement technologies. Other community members shared information about beaver restoration on the local creeks, fire ecology, preparing for the fire season, and installing speed tables in town to curtail the constant and dangerous speeding. One town resident showed up briefly to command the board, commend the board members on working well together and putting in so many hours on projects to improve the town, stating, quote, This is the first town I've ever lived where the representatives were so committed. The town board is actively dialoguing with Evan Samora of the Swatch County Housing Authority on options for affordable housing units, including rentals for area residents and single-family homes. Mr. Samora's agency is looking at a scattered housing option that could bring 10 to 20 units to the town of Crestone and Baca area. Funding for affordable housing will mainly come from tax credits for developers to construct up to 50 dwelling units in total throughout Sawatch County with such tax credits possibly covering 75% of construction costs. In late February, a Taxpayer Bill of Rights notice, Tabor, will be mailed to all Town of Crestone households where voters reside. This notice is mandated by the Colorado Constitution, Article 10, Section 23 prior to the election on April 5, 2022, and provides voters with information about the upcoming ballot language regarding financial issues. The voters will be asked to reallocate part of the sales tax that is already collected for the Water and Sewer Fund and have a portion diverted to a special reserve fund specifically for water and sewer capital improvements, which will help pay for future upgrades to the system. An important reminder to the voters, this issue on the upcoming ballot is not a request to raise retail sales tax. Announcements. Crestone Town Hall's new Crestone Chronicle is now available to read. The two to three page newsletter is full of up-to-date information on the state of the town, current projects, and spotlights on employees each month. Water and sewer customers will receive a copy of their monthly bill, and others can find a copy at townofcrestone.colorado.gov. Please visit our website for your board member contact information, current news, and lots of information. To reach more constitu constituents and community members, the Town, of Bo Town Board of Trustees is continuing Here to Listen sessions throughout the new year. These are held on the first Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. at the Cloud Station, 220 South Cottonwood Street. At least two board members are present to listen to comments, answer questions, share information, and network. Are you interested in participating on an event planning committee this year? Please contact Trustee Daya Scheid at dsceide townofcrestone at gmail.com. A quick reminder from the Code Compliance Department, all dogs must be leashed and any public events using public parks, streets, and sidewalks must have prior approval by the Board of Trustees. Free brush pickups are available the first week of each month. Call Crestone Town Hall at 
4313 to schedule a pickup. Free rapid response COVID-19 test kits from the Colorado Department of Public Health have arrived and are available to Crestona Baca area residents, one package per person. Crestone Town Hall is located at 108 West Galena Avenue and is still closed to walking customers. However, appointments are available if necessary. To contact Town Hall, call 719-256-4313, Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., or email crestonetownoffice at gmail.com. And about that municipal code, Animals, Wild and Domestic, and the Town of Crestone Municipal Code. Briefing by Nancy Telos, Code Compliance Officer, Town of Crestone. A good bit of the Municipal Code is written to protect animals. This protection takes many forms. The code starts by addressing holes in which animals could get injured or trapped. Examples are excavated holes or open cellar doors. Animals are protected from being chased or hurt by people or other animals and from being abandoned or neglected. Owners are on the hook for failing to provide necessary shelter, food, and water. The code makes it a criminal offense to treat any animals cruelly or torture them, and from being boarded, trained, and transported for fighting purposes. Domesticated animals running loose is a no-no, no matter if it is a burro, goat, pig, goose, etc., and of course, dogs. Some people are troubled if told their dogs need to be leashed. Others are troubled by other people's dogs not being leashed. Where's Solomon when we need him? The off-leash supporters often have well-behaved dogs. Alas, the few aggressive dogs cause the town to regulate all loose dogs' behavior. Loose dogs cause much trouble, chasing and harassing wildlife, jumping on or biting people, fighting other dogs. Leashed dogs are at a big disadvantage in a fight with a loose dog. The code does its best here by applying the law equally to all domesticated animals, including all dogs. The short answer, leash your dog and hold on to the leash. Do both. If you go inside a commercial building, restrain your dog away from the door with a heavy or secured object your dog cannot pull or tip over. The safety of people and other animals depends on you. Responsibility for noisy animals also falls on the owner and the property owner where a noisy animal resides. Remember, no barking, meowing, squawking, or otherwise, if it is causing annoyance or disturbance to another person. If an animal has been hurt or is being hurt, the code is there to protect them. Treating both people and animals well is important to the community of Crestone. To this end, the code applies to all visitors as well as residents. The municipal code sections discussed here are designed to make a safer place for wild animals, domesticated animals, the environment, and for people. Now turning to happenings, Sawatch County Stories podcast, exploring the evolution and history of land and people in the northern San Luis Valley. The Northern Sawatch County Library District is developing a podcast. The first theme, Finding Home, will be stories collected through personal, recorded interviews about how Sawatch County residents have creatively built small, simple, off-grid, alternative, construction, natural material homes in an effort to conserve water, keep costs manageable, 
and inspire future home builders. Share your story by calling the library to reserve your recording time. That number is 719-256-4100. Baca Grand Library, Monday, February 14th, recording times from 5 to 7 p.m. Swatch Library, Tuesday, February 15th, recording times from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. More happenings. Colorado hospitals face shortages. Our teams of analysts found that Colorado hospitals are facing some of the worst staffing shortages nationwide. More than 29% of hospitals statewide are experiencing critical staffing shortages. This is the eighth highest number nationwide. Our new report on staffing shortages and hospital capacity nationwide is available on the web at https colon slash slash quotewizard.com slash news slash posts slash states dash prepared dash for dash hospital dash capacity. Another happening. Shumai staff happy to take RSVPs for tours and volunteers. Depending on the status of COVID-19, please always check with the SII office when you wish to visit. These times teach us so much. Patience and compassion, among other things. Thank you to everyone who has reached out with well wishes or patiently waited for our staff to be well. As you may know, we have fewer staff these days due to COVID restrictions around international visas. While we are ready to have you come visit, we do ask that you RSVP before so we can be prepared to greet you. You can call the office at 719-256-5284 or email info at shumaichristone.org. We have Hoshi volunteer, volunteer opportunities should you like to get more involved and help us through this time. We look forward to a future when we are able to be fully open. We miss our art symposiums, concerts, and community members. And now turning to the community calendar. On February 9th, Wednesday, CEOLP IFC monthly meeting via Zoom at inf the website informedfinalchoices.org. The meeting is from 7 to 9 p.m. on the 9th. On February 10th, Sufi Deeker, all welcome, Golden Light Sufi cir Circle, email Hamidanur, that's H-A-M-I-D-A-N-U-R 303 at gmail.com. This is being held from 3 to 5 p.m. on the 10th. And on the 12th, we have a Valentine-themed market at Scout Hut. For information, contact Gracie's Urban, Gracie's Urban Farmstead at gmail.com. The market is from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m and features a rotating selection of artists, bakers, makers, farmers, and ranchers. Truly an art plus farm market. Desiree, the organizer, has a few openings for new vendors and for people who would like to teach classes. Again, she can be contacted at gracysurbanfarmstead at gmail.com. And on the 14th, we have Valentine's Day. We also have the Town of Crestone Board of Trustees Town Hall meeting at the town hall meeting room from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Also on the 14th, the library podcast recording time is at the Baca Library from 5 to 7 p.m. And on the 15th, the library podcast recording time is at the Swatch Library from 5 to 7 p.m. 
and we'll close with a few snippets from Out and About with Lori Sunflower who asked, What does love feel like? Laura Valentina Enzer says, Well, I don't think I ever knew what love really felt like until I became a mother. And that love feels like a blossoming flower in your soul that blooms into the best version of yourself. I love Valentine's Day because it is my dad's birthday. It was also my due date, but I was two weeks late, which is why my middle name is Valentina. And from Joel Weston, love feels like a good night's sleep, dreams, and rainbows. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn.